Welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. Jesus was a master storyteller, and he constantly used short stories or parables to communicate spiritual truths to the crowds that gathered to hear him. By telling parables, the secrets of the kingdom would be revealed to Jesus' disciples, but they would be hidden from his opponents. Listen to this talk from the parable series as we dive into some of Jesus' most memorable stories. Well, good morning. In the early 1970s, there was a movie, a Christian movie that came out that was called A Thief in the Night. I'm curious how many of you have seen that movie. Uh, I don't know, hardly anybody. Am I aging myself with that? It was a movie about what the Bible calls, or what actually Christians call, the rapture. It was kind of an interesting, a little scary movie. It was kind of a fun movie because it really is a 1970s movie. I mean, you watch this and you're transported back to the 1970s. Now, there's some people that will suggest that there is no such thing as an event called the rapture. And they'll point to the fact that in the Bible, you'll never find the word. And and they're partially correct about that because the word rapture does not appear in our English Bible. But if you read Latin and you were reading the Latin version, the Latin Vulgate, you would find the word. And I want to talk about that subject a little bit this morning. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with what the rapture even is, 1 Thessalonians 4 and other passages describe this event where Jesus Christ is going to return to the earth just like he left in the clouds. He's going to come back from heaven from the clouds, and he's going to summon to himself those who are believers in Christ, those who had a relationship with him. And the reason he's doing this is that he's removing us from this earth before judgment comes upon the earth. Now, this is not the first time this happened in Scripture. If you go back to Genesis and you look at the story of the flood, you realize that before the Lord destroyed the world with a flood, he he protected Noah and his family. He sealed them in the ark so that they would not be swept away with others. And the same thing is true with us. Now, this idea of this rapture where Jesus is going to come back and he's going to call Christians to be with him is, again, promised in different places in the Bible, but one of the places where it's first introduced is when Jesus ascended into heaven right after he rose again from the dead. Some of you maybe remember that Jesus, after he rose from the dead, walked around the earth for 40 days, and he was with his disciples occasionally. I don't know what all he was doing during that period of time, but at the end of 40 days, he gathered together his disciples, and we know from 1 Corinthians that it was a group of about 500 people who identified with Christ. And so they were all with Jesus on this mountain. This was going to be the last time they were going to see him, and he gave them... And I think he gave us what I call their marching orders, or our marching orders. He gave them what's been called in Christian circles the Great Commission. The word to go into all the world and make disciples in the name of Jesus, and then baptize them in the name of the true God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then to teach them to put into practice what Jesus taught. And then Jesus said, I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. Now, immediately after Jesus gave this commission to his disciples, we read what happened next in Acts 1, 9 through 11. We read, after he had said this, 
In other words, after he gave him the Great Commission, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. Of course, these are angels that just suddenly appeared. Verse 11, they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. And so these angels said that the exact same Jesus, not someone else, the same one that you've watched ascend into heaven, into the clouds, is going to come back exactly the same way in the clouds. And we know that when Jesus comes back in the clouds, he's going to call us to be with him if we know Christ, starting with those who had already died who were Christians. And then those who are alive will join them in the air. Now, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18 describes this. We read, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God. Now, I just want to stop for a moment and focus on, on that word trumpet because you're going to hear it again. This is going to be this, this trumpet is going to be sounded. The specific trumpet that's referred to is called a shofar. It's a ram's horn that would be blown, and it was used in Israel to, to sometimes uh, announce that a battle was coming, but oftentimes it was intended just to gather people. And that's what's going to happen here, this shofar, this trumpet of God is going to be blown, and we read the dead in Christ will rise first. So those who have passed away that knew Jesus Christ are going to be the first ones to meet Christ and get their new glorified bodies. And then we read, then we who are still alive, that's you and me, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so some people, there are some people that are not going to die. When Jesus comes back, now that phrase, we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, in the Latin Vulgate version of the Bible, that's rapturo. It's, it's the word for rapture, and so the word rapture just means to be caught up. We're just describing an event where believers are going to be caught up to be with Jesus before he returns to this earth in order to reign. Now, that movie, A Thief in the Night, was a story. You can, by the way, get, get it online, watch it for free. It's kind, of, it's kind of fun, but scary at the same time if you're not ready, I suppose. But it's a movie about what happens after this rapture event, what happens when the Christians disappear and then what's going to happen in the world when it's left behind. And, and some of it's not maybe accurate, but I'm convinced the event that's described there will indeed happen. Now, I believe the Apostle Paul was speaking about this exact same event in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. He wrote, listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep. That's a euphemism for die because we all will fall asleep, but we won't all die. He's saying we won't all die. There's only one group, since the history of humankind, there's only one group that's not going to die. One group. It's this group that Paul's writing about. I tell you, mystery, we will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the blink of an eye, at the last trumpet, there's the word again. It ties these passages together that the shofar is going to be blown. We're going to be assembled. 
It goes on to say, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. And in that moment, we're going to get our glorified bodies. In that moment, we're going to receive our eternal bodies that will be very similar to what, what Jesus had when he rose from the dead. This wonderful and glorified body. Now, the question we have for us today, and I want to address today, is will you be ready? Will I be ready? And the parable we're going to look at today focuses on that question. And it is, I believe, this particular parable is what I would call a, more of like a sermon illustration than just a parable. If you've been with us through this series, you know that one of the unique things about the parables of Jesus is that they, they had an interesting dynamic on those who listened. For those who had open hearts, they could understand the parable and those who did not were blinded further by the story. And so the same story that opened the eyes of some closed the eyes of others. But this particular parable was addressed just to Jesus' disciples and not to the crowd. And I don't believe that it was intended to hide anything. It was just a sermon illustration because in the previous chapter, Jesus had taught some things and now he wants to illustrate it through this particular story. Now, the question we all need to ask ourselves again is, am I ready? For some of you, that's going to mean, have I come to a point where I've, I know I have a relationship with Christ so that when he returns, I'll be one of those that's gathered to be with him. Others of us need to ask the question, am I ready to face Christ knowing he could come back any time? Now, our parable is found in Matthew 25, 1 to 13. So why don't you follow along as I read. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were sensible. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take olive oil with them, but the sensible ones took oil in their flasks with their lamps. Since the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout, Here's the groom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. But the foolish ones said to the sensible ones, Give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. The sensible ones answered, No, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell and buy oil for yourselves. When they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived. Then those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. But he replied, I assure you, I do not know you. And then here's the conclusion. Therefore, be alert because you don't know either the day or the hour. Now, in order to understand this parable, I need to give you a little bit of background information. First of all, that this parable was given in response to a specific question the disciples had asked Jesus in the previous chapter. In Matthew 24 and verse 3, the disciples asked Jesus this question, what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? In other words, how long is it going to be until you come down and reign over all the kingdoms of the earth where you, you, you get rid of the current system of government and you yourself reign as king of kings and lord of lords forever? That's what they're asking him. When are you coming back to set up your kingdom? And they were aware of this kingdom from the Old Testament as well as what Jesus told them about. For example, they would have been familiar with the book of Daniel where Daniel prophesied that there's going to be one last kingdom 
that's going to be raised up in the last times, and it's going to be presided over by the Son of God. And it's going to be a worldwide kingdom, and he's going to reign forever and ever. So they knew this was going to happen, that the King of Kings was going to come in and and rule over this earth. They also knew passages like Psalm 2 that indicate that one day in the future, the kings of the earth will bow down and kneel before the Son of God. And so they realized this was going to happen, and so they're wondering, when are you coming to do this? Now, Christians describe that event as what's called the second coming. You know that when Jesus came the first time, that he came as a He came as a baby. He came to live a sinless life. He came to die on the cross. Basically, when Jesus came the first time, he came to be the Savior. The Bible even teaches that. The Son of Man did not come to judge the world, but he came to save it. And so Jesus came to be our Savior. But we recognize he's coming back a second time, the second coming. This time he's coming as a judge. This time he's coming as a king, and he's going to rule over all the earth. And so they're wondering about this. Now this rapture event that I referred to earlier that was part of that movie that was shown in our church when I was growing up, that rapture event is part of the second coming. What I mean by this is the second coming is not a moment in time. The second coming refers to the arrival of Jesus to set up his kingdom and the thousand years that will pass after that. And so the second coming is basically his return, but it includes time. And so part of the second coming is this event called the rapture, which happens at the beginning. Before Jesus comes to set up his kingdom, my understanding is we will be called to be with Jesus in the clouds, and then we will return with Jesus when he comes to reign. And throughout the New Testament, we read that we are going to reign with Christ. Now, something else that's important to understand about uh, this parable is that it's based on Jewish marriage customs in biblical times. And so to understand it a little better, I'd like to read some things that were written by Ray Vanderlyn. It's a little longer reading than usual, but it sets sets the context for what a Jewish wedding would be like or the process that they went through. Now, I talked a little bit about that last week, but let's talk about it again from Ray Vanderlyn. He writes, In Jesus' time, families usually lived in clusters of buildings called insulas. Those clusters were built around a central courtyard. Grandparents, cousins, uncles, and aunts all lived and interacted with each other in the insula. As sons married, they added to the insula. After asking a girl to marry him, the son would return to his village and build new rooms onto his father's home. The son, anxious to be married, waited for the day when his father declared that the building was complete. Then he could marry his bride and bring her to their new home. Jesus presented a beautiful picture of heaven when he said, In my father's house are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. This word picture presented Jesus as a bridegroom preparing new rooms for his followers in the insula of heaven. Meanwhile, the bride prepared herself and her bridesmaids for the day of the groom's return. Not knowing when the groom would come, wise brides made preparations immediately so they would not be caught unprepared. When the groom finally finished building and gained his father's approval, he would travel to his bride's village and blow the shafar, the ram's horn. The bride would hear and know their wedding day had arrived. 
The best man stood at the door while the bride and groom consummated the marriage. When he heard the groom come to the door, he announced that the couple was married and the seven-day reception began. When Jesus described his second coming, he used the picture of a young bridegroom waiting for his father's approval to return to his bride. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, not the son, but only the father. When God the Father gives the approval, God the Son, Jesus, is going to be sent back, and he's called the groom, and believers are called the bride of Christ, and we're going to join him in the air. Now, this parable that we're reading about here centers around those moments leading up to the announcement that the, the, the groom is here. And so let's read verses 1 through 4 again, and we'll talk more about the parable. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were sensible. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take olive oil with them, but the sensible ones took oil in their flasks with their lamps. Now let's stop here for a moment. The passage says there were ten virgins. My study Bible has a footnote there and indicates that they're just merely they're bridesmaids. And in biblical times, these would have most likely been unmarried girls that would be attending to the bride. And so you've got 10 of these, these girls that are waiting for this ceremony and everything. Half of these girls, it says, were sensible. The other half were foolish. The only thing that made the difference was that one group did not bring extra oil. And the other did. The one, the one group brought a flask with oil. The other group did not. And so the one group was prepared for the possibility that this return of the groom, when he's going to be knocking out the door so people could be let in, that return, they, one group anticipated this could take a while. And so they had their lamps with them, but they also brought flasks of oil. But this other group did not anticipate that. They thought, well, you know, we're going to go and it's just going to happen. And so they, they did not plan for the length of time it might be. Now, a big part of, I think, the message of this parable is that, th that there is a gap between the first and second comings of Christ, and we need to be ready for it. And so, the one group saw that their lamps were going out, and so we read in verse 8, it says, the foolish ones said to the sensible ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. Now, I want to mention something about parables, and then I want to come back to this one here. But one of the rules about most parables is that they're intended only to make one point. Most of Jesus' parables are the type of parable where you read the story and you draw one conclusion from it, but you're not supposed to tear the parable apart and find symbolism in all the parts of it. Now, some of Jesus' parables were of that second kind. Uh, for example, the parable of the sower and the seed, which we, we did. Uh, that particular parable, each part of the parable meant something. And so you got, you know, Jesus said the sower of the seed is God the Father. And the seed represents the Word of God or the Gospel. And, and the seed fell on different kinds of soil. And so Jesus talked about, well, the soil is actually the heart and how receptive your heart is to receive it. And in, in one of the kinds of seed, the birds came and took it and ate it. And Jesus said that re represents how the devil comes in sometimes and steals the seed before it can germinate, before it can bear fruit. And so every part of that parable points to something, but most of Jesus' parables 
don't. And the reason I emphasize this point is that some people, when they look at this particular parable, try to say that the oil represents the Holy Spirit, which oftentimes in the Bible it does. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is referred to like being oil. Sometimes it's like water. Old Testament, they'd anoint the kings with oil. It was a a picture of being anointed with the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes it did mean that. But not in this parable. This is a detail you're not to stop at when you're reading this parable. Now, the reason I say that and why the thing matters is because as this parable is told, you, you come to discover that both groups had oil. Both of them... You know, when, when the, it was time for the groom to come, both of them were trimming their lamps. Both of them had oil, but the one group looked and saw, we're about to run out. And if oil represents the Holy Spirit, then the message of this parable would be, you could run out of the Spirit, and if that happens, you better run and go get some more. And, and that's not it. The, the, the only point, or main point, of this parable is just one group was ready, one wasn't. And we don't worry about some of those other details. But let's continue looking at the story. And and before we're done, I want to give you some specific ways in which we can be ready. But in Matthew 25, 5, as we continue the story, we read, Since the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout, Here's the groom, come out to meet him. Now, this part of the story raises an interesting question. It's an odd, odd detail. Have you ever in your life heard of a groom that arrives after midnight? I mean, in the middle of the night? And then you can still be there after midnight? Why? Why is this groom coming at such an odd time? It might be two in the morning or three in the morning. And Jesus is making the point. He's coming back when most won't be expecting it. It's not going to be the time you'd predict. He's coming back when most aren't expecting it. Now, there are a lot of parables that Jesus told related to his return. And I think all the parables talk about one of these four things or all of these. Like our parable we're looking at today probably includes all four of these elements. Where Jesus wanted to communicate through the parable, number one, his return is going to be delayed. The disciples had the idea Jesus was going to set up his kingdom immediately. He was trying to warn them, no, there's going to be a delay. Second, the point's made that we need to be good stewards of what God's given to us while we wait for his return. That's the subject of next week's talk. Third, his return will come when we're not expecting it or many won't be expecting it. And fourth, we should always be ready because we don't know when it's going to happen. And again, I think all four of these may touch on this particular parable. In the In the chapter that came right before this one, Jesus had taught on this idea about the delay and that we wouldn't know. In Matthew 24, 42 to 44, Jesus said this to his disciples, Therefore be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you also must be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That's the main message of this parable. There's going to be a surprise, but some were ready for even the surprise. The others were not. The Apostle Peter explained why 
the delay is even there. I mean, it, it does raise the question. I'm sure the disciples even wondered, well, why don't you just come right back up and set up your kingdom? And Peter said this in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He, he wants to give people an opportunity to find Christ, to recognize their sinful condition, to turn to Jesus Christ. That's why there's a delay. It's serving a purpose. And if we don't know Christ during this period of time, is the time to turn to Jesus Christ as your Savior. But let's continue the story. The shout has just gone out. It's time. Come meet the groom. He's here. We pick up the story in verse 7. Then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. But the foolish ones said to the sensible ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. Again, this to me suggests that they had some oil, but it was going to run out. Verse 9, the sensible ones answered, no, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell and buy oil for yourselves. Go to them. Now, here's a detail of the story that you could get hung up on. It looks like the five that had oil were really selfish. I won't ask you if you thought that question when you read it, but it's like, no, we're not giving you any oil. Don't get hung up on that detail. That's not the point. These five did not do anything wrong. What is the point of this? The point of this is that you can't share your preparedness with anyone else. If I'm ready for Christ to come back, there's nothing I can do for you if you won't prepare yourself. This is something, I mean, the point is you've got to do it yourself. You've got to be prepared yourself. That's the point he's trying to make, not that, the, that they were selfish or anything like that. Now, the problem, of course, with those who didn't have oil is this. It's the middle of the night. Where are they going to get oil? I don't think they can. It's too late. That's the point. I mean, they can get oil in the morning, but the, the, the groom came and it's, it was too late. You, you can't go buy it now. You, you could have bought it before, but you didn't. Now you can't. The door is closed to that opportunity. And the rest of the story confirms this, beginning in verse 10. When these, those five, had gone to buy some oil, the groom arrived. Then those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. But he replied, I assure you, I do not know you. Therefore, be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour. Now, this to me suggests, again, that the five foolish bridesmaids here did not know Christ. They were not what we call Christians. And that was the issue, because the, the, the Christ came back, and they, they were left behind. They were left outside the door. Now, the reason I say that is what the groom said to these women when they knocked on the door. He said, I don't know you. And this is used in other passages, other parables, where Jesus said, I never knew you, I never knew you. That's, that's, that statement appears in these other parables showing the fact that, that this groomsman is saying, I never had a relationship with you, and so you're locked outside. So, prepare now. 
because we don't know the day or the hour. Now, what's the application here? Well, for some of us, the application is similar to what I talked about last week. Put your trust in Christ. Be ready. God sent his own son into this world to die in our place and for everything we've done wrong. He paid a tremendous cost so that forgiveness could be extended to us as a free gift. The resurrection proved God accepted the payment, but we need to say yes to Jesus. We, we, we receive him as our Savior. We put our trust in him to deliver us from the penalty of our sin. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not be locked out, will not perish. Instead, we'll have eternal life. And I talked about that last week. And if you want to know more about that, I encourage you to listen to that talk. For those of you that already know where you stand with God and you know you're a Christian, let me give, leave you with three different applications because, again, I think this was mostly for his disciples. First one is this, that as we're waiting for Christ to come back, it's important we live a holy life, a set-apart life from this world. In 2 Peter 3, 10 through 12, we read, the day of the Lord will come like a, a thief, and some versions add, in the night, some older versions the Lord will come like a thief in the night. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God. He's making the point that God is going to come to judge the world for all of its unholiness. And if you know God despises wickedness and unholiness so much as to destroy it all like he did in the flood, why on earth would we want to live a life that's not holy? We realize how God feels about this. John, one of Jesus' closest friends, wrote that when Jesus comes back, some are going to shrink back in fear. They're going to be ashamed. Oh, they'll, they'll be with Christ, but they're going to be ashamed. He wrote in 1 John 2, 28 and 29, So now, little children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have boldness and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he's righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. It's an encouragement. You know this is the way God is. This is the way we need to be as well. Now, there's a secret here in that verse about how to live a holy life. And it's not try harder to be holy. That's not the answer. John wrote this, Little children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have boldness and not be ashamed. He's saying, you stay connected to Christ. You make sure that that relation with Christ is solid so that when he comes back, you're ready to say, finally, you're saying yes to him. In addition to living a holding life, second, I think we just should, should long for his return. In Philippians 3, 20 and 21, we read, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're eagerly waiting for him. He will transform the body of our humble condition, this body, into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. And when is he going to do that? At the rapture. And so we're going to get these glorious new bodies on that day. But we look for that. We long for that. I regularly pray 
the word Maranatha, it means come quickly, Lord Jesus. Please come quickly, Lord Jesus. A final application here is, is that earlier I quoted from Peter, and he talked about the fact that the delay is to give people time. And I just want to encourage us to be ones who share Christ with others. People need to know. Christ is delaying and coming back so that there'll be an opportunity for people to put their trust in Christ. Now, in a moment, I'm going to close in prayer. Before I do, we're going to sing a song or part of a refrain of a song we sang earlier called Praise the Name of Jesus. Let me read some of the lines. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forever. For endless days we will sing your praise. O Lord, O Lord our God, he shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' name. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forever. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.